Good to have you along. Here it is, three and out on this Tuesday. What? I mean, everything happens right after the show's over uh, yesterday, and we'll get to that regarding the Atlanta Braves, the Braves and the Phillies coming up uh, tonight. There'll be some new faces there in Atlanta, some familiar faces there in Atlanta, and we'll get to that coming up here in just a little bit. We'll talk to Gaurav Vidak, Battery Power on SB Nation, about all that's happened with the Braves coming up later in the show. But also on the show, we'll chat with Jason Fitz, ESP Radio. It's been a wild couple of days around the National Football League. Owners getting suspended, fined. Deshaun Watson, Jason Fitz, ESP Radio will join us coming up in the final hour of the show. And we'll talk with uh, Rich Stiles, as we do every Tuesday, a lot around the world of golf. Davis Love III sounding off on the Live Tour and what maybe the PGA players, tour players' response should be. Uh, towards the, the live players. Also, Robbie Ross, voice of Boston Stadium, will join us. We will talk some college football with him. But, guys, uh, we hadn't been off the show a couple of minutes. Almost literally. I'm in the car about to pull out the parking lot, and Ben goes, hey, man, did you catch Austin Riley? I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, Braves just locked him up. Ten-year deal, what, $212 million dollars. For Austin Riley, 10-year deal, locked him up. Dansby Swanson, Max Reed, you know got to be on the list. And you hear from folks covering the team saying, Liberty Media saying, Braves are selling out. Braves are bringing fans to the ballpark. The battery uh, is doing well because of that, uh, which uh, Liberty Media owns those restaurants and things around there. The team is uh, obviously selling merch. They're competitive. They're contending. We're willing to spend money. Why? Because we're making money. Hand over fist. And some reports that the team's willing to live in that top five payroll range has to be encouraging for Braves fans after you make this kind of deal. So for your keeping score at home, Ronald Acuna, long-term deal. Ozzie Albies, long-term deal. Matt Olson, long-term deal. Austin Riley, long-term deal. Michael Harris, under team control for five years on his rookie deal and arbitration. Potentially Dansby Swanson, potentially Max Fried. And, fellas, you could have locked up every major piece for this team for the next five to six years, guaranteed and basically ensuring you're going to be a contender. There's not going to be a lot of 50-win seasons. You're not going to look like the Baltimore Orioles. You're not going to look like the Detroit Tigers having to go through a rebuild, like the Pittsburgh Pirates, like the Cincinnati Reds. To me, if I'm a fan, I see Austin Riley signing, and you hear we're willing to pursue Max Fried and Dansby Swanson to get that locked up. Fellas, that's a major dub if you're an Atlanta Braves fan that ownership is backing the team. Team is winning. We're making money. We're going to invest and make more money. And we have set this team up to be good for a long time. I don't think this is one where you're going to chalk up three or four World Series. But this is a team that will be in the postseason, should be making money. And BJ and Ben, I, I don't think this is a situation uh, where you're signing guys and they turn, you're keeping guys in a familiar, comfortable environment. I don't think this is going to be a, uh, a B.J. Upton situation just, uh, where you bring guys over on big money. They don't really seem comfortable. It doesn't pan out the way you thought it would, and you end up eating contracts and trading guys. I mean, these guys are all in their prime years or haven't even got to their prime years yet in some cases. What, I mean, Alex Anthopoulos, I agree with the tweet I saw earlier today, when's his extension? I mean, because... The dude's getting it done. And I know people say, well, why are they taking advantage of these guys? Is it taking advantage of guys if they want to be with your franchise and you give them a good contract? 
You're going to get Austin Riley last year of the deal, $22 million for a potentially MVP all-star caliber third baseman. Ching, I, I, uh, ding, I'll take it. Uh, right now, that's a steal for your, if you're the Braves. And it's, I mean, $22 million, I don't know, as Ben said, let's not act like you're hosing somebody with $22 million. I, I, I'm glad you said that before the show. Like, we say this thing, it's like, all oh, the Braves are, you know, giving him a raw deal. He's only getting $20 million. Okay, $20 million, they didn't have... Much like I said with the Cootie bin, they didn't have to do this. They didn't have to, they could have no, waited. No, 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 I mean, no, no, I, 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 no, no, they're not giving him twenty-two million dollars. They're giving him two hundred and twelve, all guaranteed. So, 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 uh, uh, BJ, what, look, I get what you're saying, but once again, in a league that doesn't have a salary cap, when you're trying to always compete with the Dodgers, with the Yankees, and I'm talking about teams that have won it or are good enough to win it, you are doing it, and he's not. And once again, people are Alice Anthopoulos. No, Alice Anthopoulos, this is not Alice Anthopoulos' money. He has to be able to do things in the confines. So it, this goes all the way back to Ozzy and Ron Lacuna. They did not have to do what they did, but they did do it. You know who don't like that? The other 29 teams. They go, hey, dude, don't start doing that stuff because that's a reflection of us. As soon as the guy's really, really good, they don't expect to you know, come out of their rookie deals and go straight into arbitration. Well, they ain't going to arbitration. They gave them. So right now, Ron Lacuna, while he's waiting to get his money, is already getting paid. He's getting $10 million. Isaac getting, getting his money. The hardest thing to do in pro sports is to keep the band together because everybody wants their money. This time last year, so a couple of years ago, we're a couple of years removed from saying, hey, Austin Riley, man, is he ready to be uh, the everyday third baseman? He's out of the World Series, coming off of MVP season, and to that, and now he's going to make $212 million. They're giving him $212 million. Life is working out pretty good. Don't let the Juan Soto's of the world, don't let the Tatis's of the world, y'all need to get past those type of deals. Look at those teams, right? I'm not saying the guys ain't worth the money, but Austin Riley, he's at a team that he gets to be himself, get a chance to be an MVP, likes where he plays, like who he plays with, and all these things got to factor in. And yesterday he just, he's, he's going to get $212 million. I don't know what you're going to be doing 10 years from now, but I know that Austin Riley's got $212 million coming. That's no matter what, that, and that's no matter what happens. We don't know if he's going to be good in 10 years, but he's going to get his money. That's the thing. I can't project a year from now. 10 years? I don't know how the world going to look 10 years from now. I don't know where I'm going to be 10 years from now. I hope to still be here, healthy and strong. But a 25-year-old man just signed for $212 million. What are we talking about? Like what? Like Alex Anthopoulos is saying, look, I got to make it fit the way the Braves do it. This is the way the Braves do it. Guess who's still the, uh, the, the biggest contract for a one-year deal with the Braves? It's still Josh Donaldson. He still has got the most money ever for one year. Where is he at? He's with the, he's with the Yankees. What has anyone? He ain't over here with the Braves winning. Because B.J., Kevin, the thing about it is you got to like where you work, who you work with, and get my money. That, check, check, check. Yesterday for Austin Riley. Well, I think that's one of those things I was talking uh, with, with Christian earlier today is are we reaching a point where the money is so outrageous I say outrageous. I mean, who am I to say? I would, I would, but I mean, the money is so good. We see in the NFL, the money is good. People retire early. Are we now seeing a point in Major League Baseball where people say, do I want to be a franchise legend and get paid? Or do I want to be Mike Trout, who is a great player, has a huge contract, but has been in three playoff games? Why? Because his team's spending a lot of money. Uh, do, uh, the Padres. I'm interested to see what the Padres do. Uh, through all this. How long can they keep that band together? Manny Machado, huge contract. Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto uh, is coming up for a huge deal at some point. How, how do you keep that together? 
Plus, you just gave Joe Musgrove a huge deal uh, to be a starting pitcher. Like, how do you keep that together? So, I think, Ben, depending on the players, if you like, and this is where I think something Ben says a lot, BJ, comes into play. If you like the culture that you are in, are you willing to take less to stay there and buy less, $212 million as opposed to $230 oh, yeah. million? No. So, no, but I'm saying, if I'm Austin Riley, I'm from Mississippi, I'm playing in Atlanta, about the only other places I could go that's close to my family, St. Louis, maybe Houston or, or, or the, uh, the Texas Rangers, I'm in a place that wins. I'm in a place that I'm comfortable. I'm in a place where I like the dudes in the clubhouse. I'm in a place where I mash. I play well. They believe in me. And I'm getting a 10-year deal. I'm set for 10 years. Maybe if I'd have waited this thing out, I could have got more money. Or maybe there was a cautionary tale that happened in that clubhouse from a guy that used to wear number five that said, if I really want to be here, don't mess around. Let's get this done, and I want to be here. And I, I, I think that is something that you can't underestimate. Everybody getting paid on a team that wins, positive clubhouse culture. If everybody took a little less money, yes, you can keep the band together and yes. be a contender for a long time. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great deal for the Braves. I think it's a great deal for Riley. And I think the one, one point you made in the show meeting is that I've heard you say, Ben, when you talk about contracts, right, that in the National Football League, the new standard may be three-year deals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Three-year deal, three-year yeah. deal, because that way you can – have the chance to, I guess, re-up in, in, in three years if the market changes. But the difference, and I think this is the key point, is that in the National Football League, contracts are not fully guaranteed. Yeah. Right? So the contract, I mean, I don't even know, like, kind of what the point of a contract. It isn't fully guaranteed or... or, or well, or, you, you, stretch, you stretch it out to be able to try to put certain clauses right. in these contracts. But it's not as it reads, no. necessarily. No. The, the only thing that matters... That, that, the, the years and the number doesn't matter. The guaranteed, no, no, no. There's a there's a there's a difference in guaranteed and fully guaranteed. Yeah, it's as well. crazy. But with yeah. Austin Riley at what twenty four years yeah. old, he has two hundred and twelve million dollars. Period. Guaranteed. Yes. Even if he hits one ninety five yes. for the rest of his career, and that security, and as Kevin, as you said, to be in a place that just won the World Series, to be in a place where you're an MVP candidate. I mean, that's. That's incredible. Now, do you wonder, you know, theoretically, if you signed a five-year deal, could you have signed a five-year deal again and kind of do the NFL model, and could you get more theoretically down the line? But I think your point about Freeman is, is, I, I think is a viable the, the Freddie, one also. I mean, I mean, the Freddie Freeman thing to me seems like for this Braves team as a cautionary tale because Freddie Freeman comes back, he's boohooing all over the place, he's crying about leaving, he's crying about, I, I wanted to be a Brave, I'm crying about this. I got, it was an emotional meltdown in, in Atlanta is basically what you, what you saw. And I'm wondering if guys are going, listen, if this is where I want to be, get it done. Yeah. And I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it like, hey, settle for the worst contract ever. Mm-hmm. But nobody's crying for Austin Riley, $22 million. But look. I, I and think he doesn't I, have to worry about any of that right, stuff for a decade. Right. And so I think, for me, a lot of guys in this clubhouse mm-hmm. saw what went down with Freddie Freeman and everybody, I mean, again, Ben, you saw this. Everybody was dumbfounded that that happened. They go up to Brian Sticker and they're like, hey, you guys just traded for Matt Olson. You see Brian Sticker, like, go, oh, okay. So, like, I think in his mind, he was like, yeah. oh, then we're not going to have, yes. have Freddie. Yes. And so, I think to me, guys saw that and said, I like the guys I play with. We're a contender. I, you look around. I know the, the phrase in pro sports, don't count other people's money. Okay. 
Well, I know that guy, regardless of what he's paid, is at first base for eight years. Ronald is going to be out there for another eight years. Yep. Ozzy's going to be there for another five years. I'm here, and now the team's saying they want Dansby and Max Reed. And you can say, hmm, all of us are young for the most part. We could be, we could be good. Really, really good. Really good. Or I could go get paid and play in Cincinnati where we're out of it, you know, in May 1st. I'm getting my cheese. But, yeah, yeah. And, but and, I, 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 again, mm-hmm. I think that's – I think maybe that plays a little They're bit doing into it. Alex Anthopoulos, Anthopoulos is doing something that people ain't giving him enough credit for. The best teams, right, have certain things that come in. Every, every good team has We got guys that have been there a long time. The coach or the manager or whomever, Jim, have been there a long time. You don't believe me? All right. When you look at what happened with the Rams, right, what do they have there? What do they have in place? They got a guy in Sean McVay that already been there. They said, he said, hey, man, what are you lacking? The quarterback, they gave him a quarterback they wanted. He said, I'm lacking one guy, right? Boom. You look at you look at you look at what goes on with a team like Pittsburgh, right? They've never had a losing uh Mike Tom never had a losing season, right? Because the culture is there, right? Check. Now they gotta see post post being Roethlisberger, right? Look look at Nick Saban. There's only one coach in the SEC been there longer than Nick Saban. Well, that would be Mark Stoops. Not Kirby. When you talk about baseball, the hardest thing to and do. And look at what Mark Stoops has done for with, Kentucky exactly. football as now, a consistent now, now, face. If, 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 we, if we look at that based off what a team can do, Mark Stoops has done a better job. At, at Kentucky than um than what uh than what um Nick Saban can do at Alabama because he can't win it. Kentucky's not gonna win it. We know that they're not gonna win it. BJ, we said this. We thought we thought we thought that when Benny Snell Jr. and Josh Allen came through, was it gonna be them on nine win season? And they still doing it. Why? Because they added a passing game. And they might be the second best team so, in the in the division this year. So what Alex Anthopoulos is doing, he's saying this. Listen, you don't think I got a good coach? Yeah. Look, look at Freddie Freeman. Have you ever seen a tribute like that? Have you ever seen a guy boohooing? And, B.J., we talked about this. If the agent knew that he was going to take the counteroffer, that's why he didn't tell him. Let me ask you this about all the – yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this about all the contract stuff because one of the big storylines with the contracts leading up to the trade deadline has been, oh, Juan Soto, who obviously now is, is with the San Diego Padres, mm-hmm. turned down $450 million. Yeah. Has that kind of created an unrealistic standard for, like – when you hear four hundred fifty million, I mean, you're talking about a half a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, has that kind of created an unrealistic standard when you think about contracts for guys, or how do no. you how do you kind of process that? No, because I, I think I think we're talking about one in a million talent, but it's, it goes back to what Kevin's saying. Why are you going to get your money right until the Padres win a World Series? We're talking about a bunch of guys that's really really talented on the same team. Because you go you. It's, it's about, it's a, you got to weigh out the averages. You say to yourself, look, one soda, 450 million. Yeah. People, no, what's scaring people is, hey, and me and Kevin talked about this. What, what is it about is Ronald Acuna? When it comes time for him to re up, right? They just say the Braves give him 300, right? They haven't done it wrong. Why? Because they already gave him 100. They already gave him 100 million. What happens in these situations is, show me a scenario that the highest paid players are winning World Series. You can't. Why is that? Because if I'm giving two guys 50, a piece. I can't give other guys much. Has, Tra- has Trout been in the playoffs? He's three games. The b- baseball is the only sport that the best player in the sport hasn't won a championship. You can't say that in soccer. You can't say that in football. Can't say it in basketball. Can't say it in hockey. Why? Because if I look, Mike, no one's gonna bat an eye when Mike Trout gets seven hundred million. Nobody gonna bat an eye. They're not gonna win. Guess what? And Shohei Otani is something we've never seen in life. And ain't but too many teams can even afford him. So when it comes time for him to re up, he's gonna either call New York or you know the agents gonna say, hey, just come back with us. Because what happens is, BJ, 
No one wants to be a part of a franchise that loses. I was with the Titans. The Titans can win four Super Bowls in a row. They are not the media darling of the NFL. The Titans had the best record in the, in the AFC last year. No one cares. But they said, well, listen, if we ain't going to be the media darling, we at least going to be good. No, but to your point about being a part of a winning organization, and your point, the Braves just won the World Series. Yep, yep. They were on the verge of it before that. Yep. And now the majority of their star players are signed long-term or are we are in the works for yep. some of the other guys. I, and a lot of people say, I don't mean, it's be surprised amazing. Yeah, if Dansby and Max Fried aren't oh, the next goodness. ones. Let's yep. do it. I mean, and if you're Alex Anthopoulos, you just kick back and, hey, <laughs> I'm saying. Because cause people say, well, the Braves farm system is decimated right now. Why? Because you've had to use some of those guys as trade pieces, and a lot of those guys are now playing on the big club. Well, if all these cats are on five, six, seven, eight-year deals – what are you doing in that time? Rebuilding the farm system for the next crop. I, I think hey, Alex Anthopoulos has done a... 212 million, that's a pretty good day. For I, I, yeah, I think he's done a tremendous job. It's getting close to the trade deadline. So much has happened around Major League Baseball. We'll get to that when we come back, including one big pain in the neck. Not going to be in the National League East. This is 3 and Out. Good to have you along. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, at ESPN Coastal. Good to have you back. Here it is, three and out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben coming up on the trade deadline. Of course, the Braves have been uh, active. Uh, they have got Jake Odorizzi in. Uh, Grossman from the Tigers going to platoon out there in left. And I know people look at his slash line and say, what in the world were the Braves thinking? I mean, Alex Anthopoulos brought in a couple of cats hitting under 200 last year. One of them was the World Series MVP. That's all you're looking for. Uh, you know, is can a guy who struggled on a bad team and not really struggled against left-handed pitching, hitting like 365 is Grossman, come in, hit lefties, play left field. God knows he's better than Marcelo Zuna out there with a glove on his hand and get the job done. Then, of course, you lock up uh, Austin Riley uh, to a 10-year deal over the last 162 games. So if you want a full baseball season sample size, Austin Riley, 314, 45 homers, 125 RBI, slugging almost 600. That'll play. That'll, that'll play on most ball clubs. Yeah, and, and with the Grossman deal uh, coming over from Detroit, he had 23 home runs last year and had a on-base percentage in the 360s. So not having a great year this year. Detroit obviously not good this year, so maybe a change of scenery will sure. help. But we saw last year Alex Anthopoulos add players who maybe statistically at first glance – there wasn't a ton to be excited about. Those guys came to Atlanta and were extremely productive. Absolutely. And, again, you've got uh, big trades going on today. A lot of people talking about what would happen with uh, Juan Soto. Well, he's out of the National League East. <laughs> the Washington Nationals might be fielding a triple-A team here uh, before too much longer. But Juan Soto goes to the Padres. The Padres gave up not one, not two, not three, but four of their top 10 prospects in their farm system in exchange for Juan Soto. They also get Josh Bell uh, going over there. So the Padres looking really good. The Padres jettisoned uh, Eric Hosmer to Boston after that trade was done. So the Padres have been the most active. Oh, by the way, they got Josh Hader from the Brewers uh, to come in. And, call, and that was a strange trade. I feel like breaking out the, uh, the Windhorst uh, meme. Very strange trade. Very strange trade. Because, I mean... The Brewers in first place, and you traded a dominant lefty bullpen piece in a pennant race. 
to a team that you might have to play in the postseason uh, in the San Diego Padres. So, uh, man, has it been an active 24 hours here on the trade wire? You still have a few more hours. We'll see if Alex Anthopoulos has any more magic up his sleeve before it's all said and done. And I guess the uh, Soto trade motivated by the fact that he he turned the deal down, and yeah. I guess Washington doesn't feel like they're going to be able to sign him. Well, so. bro, I mean, bro, I mean, you turned down $445 million. I don't feel like I'm going to sign you either. Right, right. You I, offer him the richest deal in Major League Baseball. He says, nope, okay, it's trade time. Like, I don't know what we'll else you do. we'll see what happens with San Diego. I mean, does he end up signing long-term with San Diego? If they want to hamstring themselves or, even, even more. Or is this, a, is this a run in a World Series, and then uh, when Soto becomes a free agent, he hits the market again? I mean, it's it's interesting, and I don't know, I don't know how to identify – you know, what realistic market value is. Because you, you, you see that $450 million and you go, wow, like that is – but but it, it, is that what it's going to take if you want a long-term deal with Juan Soto? I don't know. I, I do know if I'm a Nats fan, I'm, I'm very disappointed, and I appreciate prospects, and I do definitely believe, as the Braves are a testament to, you have consistent success and you build your organization from – from within, I absolutely, uh, or, 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 or from the minor league system, I should mm-hmm. say, often from within, but from mm-hmm. minor league talent instead of just going out and getting free agents. I believe that leads to stability and success. But also, and Kevin, you mentioned this, prospects you never know. I mean, Ooh. I mean, we've heard about a lot of guys. You know, if, if you're a Braves fan, for example, for the last, what, couple of years, it was, you know, Drew Waters and Christian Pache and, you know, Christian uh, Betancourt and Aaron Blair and some, some guys – it, it, it works out. Some guys it doesn't. And, 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 and I'm not saying it won't work out for those guys moving forward, but I think if I'm the Nationals, I just gave up a guy that if, if current trends continue, it's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Going to be in the Hall of Fame. One of the most recognizable players in baseball, one of the best players in baseball. And I, I, I guess if you can't get a deal done at some point, Ben, like you said, you reach a line where you cannot cross that monetarily. You can say we cannot be viable as an organization and give you five hundred million dollars, but even though you got some great prospects in return, I think it would be a really, really uh, tough leap to say that one of those guys is going to be on par with what Juan Soto is going to be. So if I'm a Nats fan, you're excited about the prospects, mm-hmm. but man, to lose a player the caliber of Juan Soto, maybe a generational talent, that's really tough if you're DC. Yeah, no, you didn't lose. You didn't lose him. He left. Like he didn't want to be there. You didn't give him a choice. Yeah, exactly. It's like. No, 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 no. If 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 I'm in the front office, right, for the national, I said, dude, I offered him four hundred. I offered him four hundred million dollars. Oh, well, plus, over, yeah. well, over almost half, almost half, you know, a billion dollars. He said, no. What do? What else do I got? Do I go back and say that ain't enough? He want? No, I just think he wanted out. Of, I, he wanted out. He didn't want to be there. Once right? again, yeah, yeah. But once again, BJ, think about this. Every time we make a free agent deal, we are ta- we are betting on the now and the future. That's what we're doing. What is it about the Padres make you think they're gonna win in the future? They got a bunch bunch of superstars. Tatis is hurt right now, right now. So the greatest the greatest ability you have when it comes to when it comes to sports is durability. Now the durability, hey man, I mean you know availability. Where you at? I'm just asking as a Nats fan. And, oh, you oh, it still stings. And, it stings. And, and you're glad as a Braves fan to not have to yeah. you know go up against against Soto you know yeah. every 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 couple of weeks. But as a Nats fan. 
can you sell yourself, at least in terms of trying to be optimistic today, that, no. hey, we got elite prospects? No. You have elite prospects, but they haven't played yet. No, no, no. no, this is, no, no the, the, the Nats come, this, every year with the Nats is one thing. It's one thing. When I think of the Nats, I think one. It's Strasburg pitching. If he's not, I don't want to talk about the Nats. Because if he's pitching, Kevin, I remember, this, I remember when he came out of San Diego State. I'm like, what do you mean we're just not, not going to let him pitch this year? What do you mean? It was the postseason. They were the postseason. They, they shut him pitch. down. Because, I mean, when they won it, he was pitching. And Strasburg, it's almost like, listen, as Strasburg goes, the Nats go. Juan Soto, incredible player, incredible talent. But I don't know what he think he's going to get. That's the thing. What do you think you're going to get? And sometimes you want the big dollars. I get it. I get it. I remember when uh, 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 Carlos Stanton, uh, I hope I'm saying his name right, when he got his deal, people think, do you see that deal? And since then, people laughing at that deal. And it was a big, huge deal. Huge deal. But you know what that did? That got him up out of Miami. What do y'all think is, and, and I'm just curious because we were talking in the show meeting about when Soto does become a free agent, kind of how does Ooh. San Diego, Ooh. San Diego with a number of moves, yes. has gotten rid of the vast majority of their highly ranked prospects. You were showing me a, yeah. a tweet. I mean, when it and and Soto four is, of their top ten. Yeah, Soto is under control, I believe, for next year. But then the year after that, I mean, what do you what what is the market going to be? Well, I mean, if you legitimately turned down, it was what fifteen years, four hundred and fifty-five million. I mean, like somebody said, are we talking a half a billion dollars? I mean, I mean, I mean, I, 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 and again, you're talking about but a guy how many who is teams, not, But how many teams is that even realistic not, for? There, there, there's not one, two. There's like three or four, maybe. And no, no, no. The thing about the one. Unless the team gives him a big deal like Detroit with Miguel Cabrera, but then it's like, hey, we have, we have Miggy, but we got nobody else because he's making all the cheese. Yeah. You know, so I mean, like uh, these teams have budgets I mean, they're trying yes. to fit, but, but I mean, yeah, I think, I mean, you could see a team. I think Miguel Cabrera is retiring. Maybe Detroit could go in and try to be a contender down the road. I mean, but you're talking about teams that need to spend money. I think. A lot of people be hesitant to say, am I going to tie up a lot of payroll on one guy? Granted, he's very good, yeah. and he plays every day. But in baseball, I don't care how good you are. It takes more than one guy. right? You can ride LeBron James yeah. into the playoffs. You can ride Kevin Durant or Steph Curry into the playoffs and try to win. As good as Ronald Acuna is, it took under 200 hitting Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, and Eddie Rosario for you to win a World Series. And Tyler Matzik and Will Smith. Like, it takes everybody. Like yes. you can't just give it to one guy and say we're going to go win. Why? Because you bat four times a night, and that is it. And that is, I, I think that's why the brilliance of Alex Anthopoulos uh, a little bit on display because you've locked up four or five big pieces, and it's going to take all of them in order to be successful. Yes. So yes. I, I, I think teams are hesitant to give all of it to one guy and say fifty-five million. No, no, no. Juan Soto can do whatever he wants. Obviously, that's what he's doing, but. You don't, you don't think popularity matters? Who's the leading vote-getter in the National League? That would be a who? Ronald Cooney Jr., who's coming off a World Series that he, that he was hurt for. Got to build your team. We got a lot to get to here on the show. We'll come back. We're talking some college football. We'll talk Georgia Southern. Robbie Ross, voice of the Paulson Stadium, is going to join us next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be back here on this Tuesday. College football. Rocking and rolling and... Uh, Georgia Southern getting back to it there along the banks of beautiful Eagle Creek. And uh, joining us here on the program to talk about Georgia Southern, Clay Helton in the fold, the voice of Paulson Stadium. Robbie Ross joins us here on 3 and Out. Robbie, what's happening? 
Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, first question, though, I caught the tail end yesterday. Did someone actually call in and say Brock Lesnar was one of the greatest of all time? They did, and that was the most ridiculous take uh, I've heard on this show, and I've heard a lot of those. I know you. Uh, I immediately thought of you, Robbie, when I heard that take. I was like, if there's anybody that's going to be offended to the max about that take, it would be you. Wow. Wow. I, would, I mean, I don't even think Brock Lesnar's in the top 25 of all time, but uh, that's, just, that's just my opinion, of course. But Since you started it, we'll talk Georgia Southern football in a minute. Give me your top five all time, then. Oh, well, the Nature Boy Ric Flair by far is number one. Uh, I think then you have to go Stone Cold Steve Austin, number two, The Rock, three, Hulk Hogan, four, and five would be the Macho Man Randy Savage based on technical ability alone. No Undertaker in there. All right, that's fine. Uh, Robbie Ross joining us here. Georgia Southern back at it. Uh, from uh, an outsider standpoint, how excited are you? I know Georgia Southern built on tradition, on option football, on running the ball, running the ball. How excited are you to see Clay Hilton and this iteration of Georgia Southern football? Uh, well, I am excited to see what's going to take place. Uh, I, I don't think my wife is because I told her we're not going to have any more two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour games. They're going to be more like three-and-a-half, four hours throwing the football so much. So uh, I'm going to be spending a little more time in Statesboro this fall, which is going to be good. Uh, but I think that uh, with Kyle Van Treese, the transfer quarterback in from Buffalo, uh, throwing the ball a lot more. I think I said after we talked during the spring game that they threw the ball in the spring game more times than they have in my four previous years as the PA announcer in total. So it's going to be a different look, but with a different look comes some growing pains. As you all know, that it's going to be hard from going to a roster full of guys you recruited to run some semblance of the option, not the old school triple, but that shotgun pistol thing that they ran uh, for the last four years into a spread roster. There's going to be some growing pains offensively, and I think those are going to show early on, and I'm afraid due to the schedule being so tough, they may show a lot there in the conference slate. You're talking about an offense uh, with Brian Ellis, OC, coming in from Western Kentucky that – uh, there with the Hilltoppers was throwing the football all over the place. Is there a chance, especially early, Robbie, that we still see Georgia Southern try to establish the run as as, as the first priority as that passing game develops? See, I don't think so. I think it's just the opposite. I think they're going to try to use those first four non-conference games to establish the passing game more so than anything else, and then you kind of use the running game as a crutch when needed. Uh, because I think there is going to be so much new uh, nomenclature, new uh, formations, new uh, everything. that I think they're going to have to use those first four games to get comfortable throwing the football as much as they want to to get ready uh, for conference play. And you open up conference play right on the road in Conway against Coastal Carolina, who's picked second in the East, and Georgia State on the road, who has picked ahead of you, uh, or third in the East. So I, I think they're going to have to use the running game kind of as a crutch because they know it's there with the running back room that they have. Robbie, you talk about this offense, right? You know it's going to be up-tempo. You know they're going to want to you know, throw the football around. Is this defense, though, built to keep them in games? Because the offensive identity is what people is going to take a little time. As you mentioned, it's going gonna, it's gonna to definitely not speed the games up or slow them down. But is this defense built to be able to kind of play complementary defense while this offense is trying to find itself? 
I think actually, Ben, that uh, and hopefully that this defense defense is going to be much improved from last year because they're going to be seeing the spread every day in practice. You know, last year and years prior, team defensively they did not see the spread in practice. Uh, they saw option, and it's hard to get a feel when you're just kind of playing against shells uh, or air defensively. I mean, they're going to be seeing the ball thrown at them. 60, 70, 80, 100 times a day in practice versus having to defend the option. So I think that will help this defense grow uh, dramatically, but they're going to have to grow a lot big time uh, because they were not great on the back end defensively last year against the pass, and the majority of the teams in the Sun Belt East that you see are spread teams. Uh, so defensively, they're going to have to hold their own, but I think they're going to be better because, like I said, they're going to see it every day in practice. Robbie Ross, voice of Paulson Stadium, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Robbie, special teams has had a long uh, track record of uh, being really, really good. How good do you think they'll be this year? Is that uh, something they can rely on to uh, consistently help them out? I think so. Uh, you know, Georgia Southern's had great kickers, as you know, with Young Ho and also Tyler Bass recently. Uh, place kickers are pretty good uh, in a good spot. Britton Williams from Richmond Hill. Uh, is in that kicker room. Uh, also, Anthony Beck, one of the best punters, uh, if not in the Sun Belt, in the nation. He is nominated for the Ray Guy Award, uh, has done a great job as a punter. And uh, also, Amari, um, Amari Jones as a return specialist, hoping to, to light a fire on that side of things, returning kicks. Uh, so they're going to have to rely on all three phases, especially special teams and defense, until the offense catches up with the new scheme. You've mentioned the uh, schedule a couple of times. Of course, you're talking about a a a, a first year uh, uh, head coach in Statesboro in in Clay Helton. A lot of uh, excitement, high expectations. But how do you define expectations when there's some uncertainty with the transition and 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 the schedule is obviously very challenging. Well, yeah, the the Sun Belt schedule makers didn't do Coach Helton any favors. Uh, of course, the Sun Belt East, I think, the second toughest division in all of college football behind the SEC West. And then uh, their two crossovers are Louisiana picked to win the West and South Alabama picked second in the West. So um, nine conference games against the top nine teams in the league, uh, which that didn't do them any favors. I think, I think when I looked at the coaches poll, fifth was probably a little bit low in the East, but I'm not sure that fourth is much more. Uh, I think fourth is probably maybe third, you steal one at Georgia State on the road, and then you got Marshall at home. If you steal one of those, you can maybe finish third. I think App and, and Coastal Carolina are so much uh, better, uh, or, or they are the, the the ceiling there in the in the East. But I, I think third is attainable, and if you get really lucky and things come together, maybe you can finish second. Robbie, how important is it going to be this year to make sure that Georgia Southern like keeps pace? And really, not and really like kind of make sure. Even though you got guys coming over, you talk about Mars, you talk about Old Dominion, you talk about James Madison. How 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 does Georgia Southern make sure that look? We get, we got three of those four coming over. We got to we got to welcome those guys because we still got to deal with Coastal, still got to deal with App. And I know I know they don't like to hear this. They still got to deal with that that team up there in the ATL that that will go unmentioned. Oh yeah, that team that plays at Turner Field, right? <laughs> yeah, that Absolutely. Uh, I, mean, I, think, I, I think that was part of, uh, of, of what Jared Banco, the athletic director, his vision is. I mean, he, uh, there, there are not many people in Statesboro that like 
fact that Coastal Carolina has been, I'm not going to say has passed them because I don't want to use that terminology, but has been more successful as of late, that App State has been more successful as of late, and they hadn't played in a conference championship game. Uh, you know, Georgia Southern won the conference in 2014, I think their first year eligible when they weren't bowl eligible, but they have not played in the conference championship game. They have not uh, been conference champions since then. I think that is what is driving um, the motivation for Jared Banco and the entire athletic department and, of course, the football program. They want to get in that Sunbelt championship game on December the 3rd. Uh, they want to play on championship Saturday and, and get to a, 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 the best bowl game possible. Uh, for the Sun Belt, and I think that is what is is spurring all this on, and and they want to go back to being, you know, Georgia Southern, not necessarily uh, triple option, pound the ball with AP and and Jermaine Austin and that character, but uh, but be back to where the upper echelon in your conference is that all championships in, in related to uh, conference, be it the Eastern Division or the Sun Belt itself, goes through Statesboro. And, and, Robbie, to that end, uh, you talk about Georgia Southern trying to get to that level, uh, and this kind of lull with the program has hit at a time that the league itself has kind of taken a huge step forward, right? I mean, we've had several folks not in Statesboro uh, and come on and say, look, I think the Sun Belt is the, the, the top G5 uh, conference right now. So you're kind of seeing this trying to get a resurgence going. Meanwhile, the conference has taken a huge step forward on the, uh, on the national stage. Yeah, I agree. And, and yes, Georgia Southern has had a lull by Georgia Southern standards, but to your point, they have won two of the last three bowl games that they have played in. And so that has done nothing but help the Sun Belt overall as well. So even though Georgia Southern has may not have been what many folks think Georgia Southern should be, when it comes to stepping out in non-league games, especially bowl games, they have been successful here in the last, like I said, two out of the last three. Robbie Ross, voice of Paulson Stadium, joining us here on 3 and Out. Robbie, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thank you. Robbie Ross, joining us here. Eagles, back at it there in Statesboro for fall practice. And the countdown is on. It is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas. Ben Troop, B.J. Bennett, glad you're with us here. Georgia Southern, we just talked with Robbie Ross. Interesting start to the season. Morgan State to open things up. Hopefully you get your, uh, your feet wet in that game instead of, uh, uh-oh. And then you go to Nebraska, and Nebraska hasn't been great shakes, B.J. and Ben, but I think they expect to take a step forward here in 2022. UAB, Ball State, and then you're in it, right? So you got an interesting kind of uh, non-conference run there, but week two, Nebraska... We've seen some belt teams in the past, fellas, pull off upsets. What a big feather in the cap of Clay Helton if you go to Lincoln and pull off a surprise upset. Oh, and and they're going there to win. I mean, I understand I, that. I, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I would also keep an eye on that on that UAB game. You know, following that trip to Nebraska, Ben. I know uh, you've been over there and, and have talked to the team, Bill Clark, uh, the job they've done since since bringing that program back. Uh, but that Sun Belt schedule, as you heard Robbie said say you're basically talking about the nine best teams in the league. Uh, you have Louisiana, of course, uh, Appalachian State. You've seen them mentioned in some preseason top 25 polls, along with Coastal Carolina, who brings Grayson McCall back, one of the top quarterbacks in college football. So a big-time challenge, but with challenges come opportunities. The two the two hardest coaching jobs in, in, uh, in college football this year, you could say, could come from the same state. Jeff Collins with Georgia Tech. 
Coach Clay Hilton coming out of Georgia Southern, they did not do you guys any favors with that schedule. <laughs> they certainly did not. We got so much to get to here on the show. Take three coming up right around the corner. Also, we'll talk some golf with Rich Styles. A lot going on there with uh, the Live Golf Tour, PGA Tour upping money. Davis Love the Third sounding off on the Live Golf guys. Uh, and more Gaurav Vidoc, Battery Power, will join us just after five, talking all the trades that have happened with the Braves. And more, we'll hear from Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, and we'll hear from Ben Ingram, if you missed it, with our own Christian Gokel later in the show as well on all the Braves news. Take three, coming up next. Good to have you back. Hour number two here on 3 and Out. A lot to get to. Rich Styles will join us this hour. Also, look at the NFL. It's back on Thursday. The Hall of Fame game, although the people you want to see don't appear to be playing for the, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. We'll get to that. Uh, coming up, also, Gorov Vidoc, final hour from Battery Power on SB Nation, talking all the Braves news. Jason Fitz in the final hour of the program from ESPN Radio. So much happening around the NFL in the last 24 hours. You have owners being suspended, actually getting longer suspensions than Deshaun Watson. Uh, got at the end of the day. So we'll get to that and more coming up in the final hour of the program. But first, fellas, let's take three here on three and out. All right, take one. Will Smith gone in a trade for Jake Odorizzi. How will you remember Will Smith's tenure in Atlanta? It's interesting because when you think about when you think about Will Smith and you know, was a, was a great closer for San Francisco, comes over to Atlanta, and the expectations were very high. I think for a lot of his tenure, you think about kind of shaky moments, right? I mean, I, just being honest, you think about uh, having to manage with runners on. You think about maybe you come in to close out a 3-1 game, and it's a 3-2 game, and then, you know, you catch a ball on the warning track to end the game. And I think his ERA... Uh, uh, for his career in Atlanta is about 375, which is not very good necessarily for a closer or back end sort of stop, uh, stopper, so to speak. But you say that, and then you look at, you know, you look at the layers of what was accomplished. He was a leading part of a bullpen that won a World Series and had a lot of postseason success and closed out the World Series and was absolutely at his best in the World Series. So I think for a lot of people, just when you talk about Will Smith or when you follow social media, like when he would come on in a tense situation, you see the, uh-oh, here comes the Will Smith sure. moment. You know, here comes the the walk and the single, and it's going to be interesting. And I think there's I think there's truth to that. A 3.75 ERA is, is not where you want to be if you're a closer or in that role. But when it mattered most, he was at his best and got the World Series ring. Help the Braves make history. So I think for a lot of people, and probably myself included, your first thought might be eh, a little bit of a disappointment with kind of the, the salary and what the expectations were. But then when you take a step back and go, nope, won a World Series. Help the Braves become a postseason fixture. Help the Braves, you know, become one of the more dominant teams and ultimately the most dominant team in baseball and had an important role in that. You have to say it was a successful tenure. It was a very successful tenure in some regards. So he's an interesting guy, you know, traded in the uh, in the uh, deal with with Houston. But but I think 
you have to always remember that World Series and how he pitched at the end of that postseason. When Will Smith first got acquired, I asked Kevin, what is Will Smith here to do? He says he's here to post, pitch in the postseason. That's all, that's all Kevin said. He is here to provide you know, like what he can bring you know, in the postseason. BJ, you are wearing a shirt that got Jocktober on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? Why is it every time we see Soler, why every time we see Rosario, why every time we see uh, Jock Peterson, we can't wait, you know what I'm saying, to, to greet him. What's up, Jock? I'm sorry. None of those guys pitch. None of those guys do what Will Smith did. The reason why people are asking how we're going to remember Will Smith, Will Smith, Will Smith, the baseball is like, it's like Eli Manning in football. Regular season ain't much to talk about. We, we, we ain't talking about regular season. But in the playoffs, he is lights out. So at the end of the day, you ask yourself, do we win it without Will Smith? The answer is no, because it was lights out. I'm not saying that somebody couldn't have done what he did, but he did it. I'm going to remember Will Smith for his contributions. When that 2021 World Series team gets honored, he's going to be there. You don't got to like it. But when you needed him in the clutch, and I'm talking about the postseason, he was lights out. Now, a lot of, not, not, you know, them, them, those games in between, I mean, you think, I mean, the, the regular season, yeah. But who are we talking about, right? Santonio Holmes is a, is a Super Bowl MVP. He's not going to go to the world. I mean, he's not going to be in the Hall of Fame. But you go back to that last Pittsburgh uh, Super Bowl, who won it, Santonio? All I'm saying is, Will Smith, we appreciate you, sir. The reason why Jack Peterson love Atlanta, the reason why Soler love Atlanta, the reason why Rosario love Atlanta, and the reason why Jack, I mean, Will Smith should love Atlanta, and we should love him is because when we needed him, he did what he needed to do. I just think that we get, we just, how soon we forget. My goodness. Will Smith was like, what? All I did was ball out in the postseason. We can't appreciate that. I mean, what can you appreciate? Appreciate Will yeah. Smith, man. But like you say, Kevin, he did two things. One, he won in the World Series, and he became a tradable piece. We have you the say that's how you get yeah. guys, tradable pieces. He didn't know he was one of those guys. Yeah, we, uh, we have the shorter, shorter memories than we ask our athletes <laughs> to have, uh, certainly when it comes to it. No, I, I mean, look, Will Smith, the farther you get away from the team, you remember the good stuff. And the good stuff is, dude was six for six and save opportunities in the postseason, and nailed down the World Series. The end. That's all I need to know about Will Smith. And that's how I remember him. Look, was he awesome at times in the regular season? No, he was not. But how will I remember Will Smith? Dude was money. I mean, Tyler Matic's career up until last year wasn't a lot to write home about, and we got shirts talking about other stuff with Tyler Matic and how he was money. Right? I, I think Will Smith, you remember the same way. Will Smith was part of the night shift. The night shift were dudes that when they came in the game, it was over. And it was. In the postseason, couldn't have done any better. That's how I remember Will Smith. The end. Moving along. I'm talking faster than Jimbo today. Moving along. Take two. Rank the following NL teams after today. We still got uh, an hour and 50 minutes and 10 seconds until the trade deadline. But Dodgers, Mets, Braves, and Padres. Padres made the big move for Juan Soto. The Dodgers have made a few uh, small moves. The Braves have made some moves. The Mets trying to make some moves. Rank them out how you think they stand after today. Wow. All really good. And, I mean, those are your, along with the Yankees and probably the Astros, those are probably your World Series favorites right there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think you go Dodgers one. I mean, look, the they're number one uh, uh, in the uh, in the majors in, in Team ERA. They have every all-star. I mean, I mean, Freddie Freeman might win the MVP mm -hmm. with L.A. I mean, Mookie Betts, the roster is just ridiculous. I Look. Kevin, you said the other day you think the Braves are going to overtake I the do. Mets. I, I know a lot of people do. I'm I'm 
I'm optimistic that there's a chance that that happens, but I'm also, but well, I mean, I'm, I know I'm saying, I'm but of all people on this show to say it's not going to happen, it would be you. <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm saying right now you're what? I, I, I haven't checked. Three, well, like three and a half, three and a half out. Isn't Degrom set to pitch for the first time on Saturday this weekend? So I think so, it's, he's pitching tonight. So you think? Oh, okay. So Against think, what's left of the Washington yeah. Nationals? <laughs> so you think about adding pieces at the trade deadline. I mean, you're basically getting the the maybe the best pitcher in baseball because you haven't had him all year. So because of that, I I, I just need to see how it goes this weekend with Atlanta. Right now, just based on where the standings are, I will go Mets number two. I'll go Braves three. I think this Braves roster is stacked. Again, you got Austin Riley. You know the great momentum, the great news from that. That deal, you're talking about bringing in some modest pieces, but I think some important pieces, much like last year at the trade deadline. And then with the Padres, uh, a close fourth, but the Padres have not been as good as the Braves this year. I think the Braves have a seven-and-a-half or eight-game lead uh, for the number one wild card spot. Uh, Tatis is, is still on the 60-day uh, IL. I, now, I, now, I think in the next month or so, you're expecting him back, but uh, uh, some questions with with their pitching as well. So even with Soto, I will go Dodgers, Mets, Braves, Padres. Dodgers, Braves, Mets, Padres. BJ, you making this thing you you you're making this thing too rough on yourself. The Dodgers, the Dodgers are the team to beat in the National League until proven otherwise. I know the Braves beat them last year. I get about to say proven otherwise. Dodgers won the World Series. Right? Dod, you know, I'm just I'm just saying. I mean you know, last time I checked, the Dodgers the Dodgers are good without Freddie Free. Now they have Freddie Free. Okay, I mean, I'm just saying. I mean, when you when you start looking at who the Dodgers the Dodgers are already loaded. We I know we I know we got you know Jansen or whatever, but they got Freddie Free. It's the Braves. Braves number two. Why? Because the Mets are gonna met. I don't care what no one said. The Mets are going to met. I know they got Scherzer. I know they got Degrom. I get it. Right? They're not better than the Braves. They got the they got a better record right now. Right now, if the Mets were coming off a World Series and the, and the Braves weren't, I would put them at number two. Braves are, coming, Braves are defending World Series champs, not the Mets. That doesn't mean I don't respect Scherzer. That doesn't mean I don't respect DeGrom. That doesn't mean I don't respect what the Mets are doing right now. But the Mets had a 10, the Mets had a 10 and a half game lead on the Braves. It is three and a half. If you think the Braves had a 10 and a half lead, game lead on the Mets, they're going to let them catch them? No, now I know we got the series coming up, you know, here soon, but I'm going to go with uh, the Braves two, Mets three, and I get it. Juan Soto is going to the Padres. I get it. They are woo. That that lineup is serious. You gotta win something, man. You you got that much firepower, and I know Soto ain't even got all the playing yet. I know, but you gotta win something because if the Braves the Braves with all this firepower that they got, well, they proven it with a World Series. The Dodgers with that with that roster that fight, they won a World Series. Man, show me you can win a World Series. Padres, show me you can win a World Series. Like BJ, you just mentioned. Outside of the outside of the Astros, outside of the Yankees, these are the teams picked to go to the World Series. Well, I know two of these teams. That's one of them. Other two got a lot of hype, and you know one of them is a part of the Subway Series. One of them is a, you know one of them is a little brother. The Mets are a little brother of, of New York. That's just what it is, right? And all, and all I'm saying is there is a one, you know, tight end that will go unnamed that I haven't heard from since you know my little Braves, <laughs> you know, won that World Series. I'm just saying. Dodgers, Braves, Padres, Mets. I will put the Mets on the back end. I, look. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Talk. Tell I'm, to- I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna be real. Until the Mets do it, the Padres have been in the postseason a lot here recently. Dodgers, obviously. Braves have. What have the Mets done? The Mets, mind you, celebrated a World Series for practice at spring training two years ago. How did that work out? 
I understand. All I'm saying like, is like, McNeil no, health no, insurance no, can, can I, worries I, me. Can I steal a B.J. Bennett quote? You know who practices celebrating the World Series at spring training? That's what losers do. I'm just saying. Steve Cohen, glad you bought the Mets. That's great. You got a billion dollars, but you own a franchise that practiced celebrating the World Series in March last year. Meanwhile, the Braves actually, you know, they celebrated for real. I mean, I'm just saying. The Dodgers celebrated for real. Even if you want to call it short season, 60-game COVID year, but they still won it. Yep. I believe it when I see it. Sorry, Mets. They've yeah. spent a lot of money before and didn't win. Yeah. A whole bunch of invisible championships. They, yeah. they had an invisible championship in, uh, in Orlando. Mickey it was Mouse. since the 80s? <laughs> the, the, it was the 86 Mets the last one to do it? I mean, Mike Piazza was looking around going, what the hell y'all doing, Mets? <laughs> Don't do that. Just saying. All right, moving along. Take three. Jags open the preseason on <laughs> Thursday. Jags fans get excited. Jake Luton going to be the starter at quarterback. What are realistic expectations for Jacksonville this season? All right. I might have got a, 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 a little bit excited earlier today. Might have? Jack, Jack, okay. Might have? We were talking about this, and I was like, look, man, you have 17 games. Could you get close to 500? Could you get to eight? I mean, okay, I want to say this. And, and then and, I almost fell on the floor. And, and, and I think we all agree, okay, you have a much more stable coaching situation. Yes. You have 100%. A, you have a head coach that has won a Super Bowl, and I think based on what you were able to do in the draft, what you were able to do in free agency, you have a much more balanced roster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at the roster and you think about guys that haven't been there. I mean – Christian Kirk, Travis Etienne healthy, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Brandon Scherf, uh, 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 Folo Fatukasi. You're talking about Devin Lloyd, uh, uh, Foye Olokun. You're talking about Trevon Walker, Darius Williams. I mean, you went out and made some substantial additions to a roster that already had a lot of young talent. I mean, this was a team that was going to get better anyway. Now, I will take a step back. I was getting a little excited. Ben, you're saying, hey, the culture are going to be even better with Matt Ryan. think so. The Titans are the Titans. Mm-hmm. Maybe the standard in the division. But I, I, I think what we've seen the last couple of years is going to be improved upon notably. I mean, the, the, the organization was a mess last year. I mean, the Urban Meyer situation, I, playing That's under that. That's disrespectful to mess. Playing, I well, think. true. <laughs> playing with that. I'll take any mess over that so, one. So I think to sit here and say even, uh, you know, a, a, a very incremental increase, I think for people to say, oh, three or four, I, I don't think that's given enough credit to Doug Peterson coming in and to the roster changes that have been made. I will say I think I, I think Jacksonville will win six or seven games this year. And I think they have the talent to do that. Again, Ben, I know you love the, the linebackers. You love the linebackers. Okay, okay, absolutely. I think Evan Ingram, nice. Evan Ingram, you bring in Christian Kirk. Yeah. I mean, Etienne probably is both a runner and a receiver. You're going to have more weapons for Lawrence. I will say six or seven. Six or seven wins for a, for a team that picked uh, number one overall back-to-back season would be, I mean, wow. That's almost, I mean, obviously, you know, the closer you get to, uh, the closer you get to 500. This is this this is what I would think. This is what I'm gonna look at when I when I when I think about the Jags. Stability. The hardest thing that b- before you can the, the first thing you have to build in any team is culture. But before you can do that, you gotta have stability. The best pickup, the best offseason pickup for the Jags uh, this offseason was not a player. It was Doug Peterson. You're getting a guy that's gonna stabilize everybody, treat everybody like men, put you in a professional working environment, a healthy working environment. Because instability was instability and just you know, just uh, just not being consistent last year was the Jags. Now, Trevor Lawrence, 
You get a healthy uh, Travis Eaton, you get James Robinson, you get Evan Ingram, you're talking about Zay Jones, you're talking about Christian Kirk, you're talking about the Jones brothers. I mean, y'all can have a freaking lineup of just Jones receivers running out of our Televisca Chanel, you know, Trevon Walker, you, 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 uh, number one overall pick, you talk about Josh Allen. Young teams have to understand, dude, it's going to be rough before it gets better. I'm speaking from experience. When your average, when the, when the average age is 22, 23, and these are key contributors, we will see. I think the Jags are going to be better. I, you know, but, you know, when the you know, GM comes out saying we're not going to pick number one, well, hell, are you going to pick number two? Because you're trying to get closer to that. Because the thing is, three wins, four wins, five wins. The hardest thing to do in the National Football League is to win consistently. They got to figure out how to do that. that, that Matty Ice going to the Colts is going to make life tough. And until proven otherwise, you got to tackle that monster in Tennessee. You got to do it. I'm not saying the Jags won't be better this year, uh, BJ. I just think that the one thing you – listen, it's a young man's league, and they have a young, lot of young players. I think they're going to have a shot. If they get seven wins, man, that's going to be – I mean, you talk about – I know it's not going to happen. That's coach of the year type stuff. When you look at where they were, I got to see it to believe it, but I do think the Jags are going to be much better this season. I think uh, Trevor Lawrence – So what are you saying, five, six? What are you mm, – I, I give them five. Because this is the thing, BJ. I mean, we're just talking about the division. Who they got? To, who are they playing out of the division? I don't know. I, I, I just think five and twelve would be a disappointment, given the draft, given the coaching change, given the free agent money you spent. I don't know if I'm willing to be as ambitious as you. I, I would say six and eleven would be realistic. Could happen that wish that should get you out of the top five uh, picking, uh, which I think has been said. You want to get out of there at some point. To yeah. Just get get removed from that because. You're associated with being bad, and you've had back-to-back number one picks. I'm going to say six and eleven. Get them out of the top five uh, of the draft, and we'll call that a successful 2022 season. So much to get to here this hour. We'll talk some golf when we come back. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us. Live Golf continues to be at the forefront. Davis Love sounding on on that as well, and Rich will join us next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Well, there's so much going on with the trade deadline. We'll get you the very latest to see if the Braves make a move here uh, in the last hour and a half before the trade deadline. Make another move, I should say. Have some new faces in the lineup uh, there potentially uh, tonight. So we'll talk more about that coming up in just a little bit. But every Tuesday we chat with our next guest, and there is so much continuing to swirl around uh, the world of golf. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joins us. Rich, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, again, you had Davis Love the third, uh, Rich. I know you get tired of talking about the Live Tour, but it keeps coming up in the news. Davis Love sounding off on the Live Tour, saying uh, if these guys are allowed to do it, PGA Tour guys should boycott the majors. I mean, is that something that would? I mean, would the players even consider doing that? I don't know. I mean, Davis is a pure PGA Tour guy. I mean, he's been on the tour for many, many years. He's won twenty-one times. Uh, he's also the President's Cup captain that is coming up in a couple of months. And I, I just think Davis and a lot of us are just tired of the battle between the two tours. And, uh, you know, that is an option. Uh, I'm not sure that that option would be something that everybody would take a look at on the PGA Tour to boycott the majors because that's why they're still on the PGA Tour to play those. Uh, but it has on social media created quite a stir and quite a lot of opinions. 
Rich, when when will some sort of stability be reached in terms of uh, players leaving, you know, attrition, uh, you, you know, somebody being on the PGA Tour saying, hey, I'm, I'm good to go, and then they're on the Live Tour, you know, a couple of weeks later. I mean, how much... How much longer do you think in terms of a timeline there's going to be some chaos and uncertainty with with these two tours? Well, uh, BJ, by the way, I'm glad you're back. Um, it's good to have you back. Uh, Thank you. I think that you're going to see some, uh, some more uh, announcements coming after the FedEx Cup at the end of August, and then there's going to be some that may make an announcement after on both sides after the President's Cup uh, and then I think you're probably pretty well done for this year anyway. Uh, with only 48 players and a shotgun start on the live tour, um, you know, there's not many more slots for them to fill and uh, find other slots for those players that had been playing that are now being moved to a development tour of whatever uh, live can do, uh, Asian tour, whatever. But I think you're going to see some more movement um, right after FedEx. Um, you know, rumors are Cam Smith might go. Other rumors, Cam Young might go. Uh, we've also heard, uh, you know, possibly Ricky Fowler. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly believe that after the President's Cup that it'll settle down for a bit. Rich, I mean, Tiger Woods, I mean, $800 million declined the offer. How much does that help the PGA when you think about, obviously, it doesn't get much bigger than Tiger. It's not like, you know, uh, he's hurting for any money these days. But how much does it help the PGA to knowing that the face of golf decided to tell the live to a thank you but no thank you? Well, I think it does a lot. Uh, but I think a lot of people expected Tiger not to go because um, I think we talked a couple of weeks ago, you know, there are – there are basically are two pools of PGA Tour players, one that are building legacies, Hall of Fame, Tiger, um, uh, even though Phil went. I mean, that kind of, uh, but, you know, made that a little bit different. But I think Tiger's in that legacy. Uh, Hall of Fame guy, uh, 15 majors, wants to win more. Not sure that he's going to do that based on his body and other things. But I think it's huge that Tiger turned it down. Um, I wasn't surprised that he did. Uh, because Tiger being the traditionalist and the competitive nature that he has, uh, I don't think the same competitiveness is available right now on the Live Tour. Rich, before we move on from that, do you believe that number floated out there by Greg Norman that they offered, what, between seven and $800 million for Tiger? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, there, there have been reports, you know, that, uh, that it was very close to a billion, which that is pretty close to a billion. Um, but... You know, the money is just ridiculous. I mean, there's just so much money being thrown around out there. I mean, we've, we've talked before, it's generational money that will be going to their kids and the kids after that and probably the kids after that. Um, and there's just a lot of money being thrown around uh, with, at this point, uh, nothing coming back uh, in return for the expenses that the Saudis and the LIV Tour is, is pouring out a lot of cash. And uh, they just want to have as many players as they possibly can. But, you know, I think there's one point, there's a lot of points, but I think the PGE Tour still has 19 of the top 20 players in the world ranking right now playing on their tour. Uh, you know, Liv does have you know, Stenson, who was the Ryder Cup for the European captain, uh, no longer. Charles Howell, who's played 609 PGA Tour events. Paul Casey, Jason Kokrak, Bubba Watson, 
Masters winners. Uh, so, I mean, yes, they're getting some names, but these are three champion tour guys. These are in the mid-40s that they probably are not able to compete the way they would like on the PGA Tour. Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, joining us. Rich, I, whenever you see a secondary league come up, it, it, to me, it does a couple of things. It annoys the primary league uh, to some extent, but it also uh, forces the primary league to examine or nay steal some ideas uh, there as well. We saw the XFL the first time around. People looked at it. It was kind of a sideshow, but then the NFL stole some things from that and started incorporating it in their broadcast, in the way they went about you know, marketing the sport and, and things of that nature. Now we see the PGA Tour come out and say the prize money is up. I mean, if, that, if, that's, if there's nothing else the Live Tour has done, it has forced the PGA Tour to come out and say, we're up in the prize money, we're paying you guys more for coming out and making the cut. Is that ultimately kind of a good thing that you see is for all of its faults, the Live Tour is kind of forcing a uh, self-examination of the, of the powers that be there at the PGA Tour? Oh, I think definitely. I think uh, everything now the PGA Tour is doing uh, uh, is a reaction to what the LIV Tour has done uh, and is doing. Uh, the PGA Tour, I wish, would have come out last year with a lot of these announcements, and it would have looked like they were they were being proactive and 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 protecting their brand. Now, I think a lot of folks feel that it's a reaction by the PGA Tour, um, and it should have been done a long time ago. I'm glad that it's done. And it may mean that some of the guys who were thinking about it may not do it now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely a reaction to what Liv has done. And uh, uh, I think the PGA Tour right now is, is kind of backpedaling in a, in a way uh, because they're reacting to everything that the LIV Tour is doing. Rich, talk about this hot streak for uh, Tony Finau and just how well he's playing and uh, what's, what's been the biggest key for him. I think just confidence, um, and his putting has been really good. He's always been a good ball striker, uh, but you know Tony is uh, is is just a great guy, uh, down to earth, uh, family guy, uh, who uh, has just had an opportunity to to break through. And uh, you know, he was one of those guys that a lot of people said, you know, uh, played on the PGA Tour, you know, can get some top tens, can get some top twenties, uh, and and can play real well, real well, but can't win. Well. He's quashed both those. He's now doubled his PGA Tour uh, titles. Uh, he had two before this year. Now he's got four, two in a row, and not a lot of. He's the only one this year that's had two in a row on the PGA Tour. So I'm glad for him because it does take some monkeys off his back. Rich, I don't know if you saw the story about Tony Finau. Now I know these uh, different guys got different strategies. Have you heard anything about him putting his uh, kids' initials on the balls and depending on? Uh, who's ever, who, uh, whichever, uh, whichever one he's, uh, you know, hitting the ball well with, he'll stick with it. So I know most of us say we don't got favorites when it comes to our kids, but hey, if he's hitting bogus with his little girl initials, he said, listen, if you want to go on the beach, I'll just put my son's initials on there. Have you ever, you talked about him being a very, very likable guy, but sometimes it's just good to root for guys who don't take life too serious. I've never heard of the initials on the balls. I mean, uh, is that something that you do, Rich, as well? Well, I did put your name on my ball, Ben, but the ball didn't even move off the tee. <laughs> that sounds like me. And, no. you, know, um, you know, usually the ball compresses, but when I put your name on it, it just kind of stood there and it said, I'm a tight end. I don't move. I'm just staying here. <laughs> you got this, this, you're using the wrong type of balls these days, uh, Rich, man. We move a little bit these days. You want to know how I could have moved if I wanted to move? He wears number eight for the Falcons. 
Well, Ben, I don't think the ball that I used with your name on it had enough dimples, so I think oh, I, it probably wasn't USGA approved. But our guest here on Out, Rich, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. See you later. Appreciate it. Rich Stiles joining us here on Three and Out. And again, as the world turns, literally, uh, involving the, the PGA Tour and the Live Tour, it's something new seemingly every single day regarding that. We've got more to come here on Three and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Also streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, the ESPN app. Or you can uh, see all of our smiling faces, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel, ESPN Coastal, on YouTube, and you can see the show live. Or uh, after we're done, if you missed the show, you can go back and uh, check us out there on YouTube at ESPN Coastal. We're coming back with more Three and Out Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Oh, man, is it getting wild? In Major League Baseball right now, the Padres just traded again, and they pick up uh, Drury from the Reds, Brandon Drury from the Reds, in exchange for one of their top prospects from, uh, I think, prospect number 11 in their system. So the Padres doing all sorts of acquiring today. The Juan Soto deal, they get Josh Bell. I mean, their, their lineup could be completely different by the time this is all said and done. And B.J. Ben, you talk about this, the Braves... Uh, have not pulled another move off today outside of what they did yesterday. Will Smith going to the Astros for Chad Odorizzi. They get uh, the young man from Detroit. And they uh, have Grossman. Re- Grossman, and they have re-signed uh, Austin Riley to a 10-year deal. So they've made some moves. Not a, a big deal. The Mets have gotten Darren Ruff uh, in exchange for three pitching prospects uh, and one of their players there as well. So a lot of activity. The Phillies... Made a move. They get Brandon Mars from the Angels, one of their top prospects. So a lot of activity going on. The Marlins have been kind of quiet. They're kind of home-growing uh, their team. The Nationals have completely given up. Uh, at, well, maybe they have, right? I mean, they, they've completely gutted their team. You get rid of Josh Bell, Juan Soto, before you lost uh, by Max Scherzer. You, you let him walk. You're, you're a triple-A franchise at this point. So this is the age-old question, BJ and Ben. The Padres today, the Padres today have traded five of their top 11 prospects. Five of their top 11. So not an insignificant number of guys that they believe in. Usually if you're in the top 10, people believe you're a major league player. Not, maybe, maybe you're not going to be a great player, but you have a major league caliber Skill set. You can play at the major league level. Five of the top 11, essentially, for Juan Soto, Drury, and Josh Bell. Are you a build through the, dra- through the draft guy, build your prospects, bring them to major leagues, or do you like moves like this? Essentially, if Ronald Acuna, as you said during the break, BJ, if Ronald Acuna played for the Washington Nationals, would you trade your, your top five of your top ten guys for Ronald Acuna? There are a lot of factors here, and, and, and this may be a long-winded answer, but I think there are a lot of things to consider. First, just, just, just for clarity's sake, I may, I may, I may build through you know, your farm system guy. I think that has led to consistency and stability for an organization like the Atlanta Braves for multiple generations and has led to multiple championships. But I think there are certain players 
where it's worth doing that for. Like, and 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 this is with all due respect. I, I you know, would I trade three or four of my top uh, ten prospects for Brandon Drury? No. But if you if you come to me and say, hey, look, Ronald Acuna is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, Ronald Acuna is one of the best players in Major League Baseball already. And what, he's been 24 already. He's already had, what, a 35-35 season. And to get him, I have to trade four of my top 10 prospects. And again, those prospect rankings are projections. And, you know, is there a, it, it's kind of like recruiting. Is there a huge difference in the number seven running back and the number three running back or the number five running back and the number nine running back? Well, in your farm system, is there kind of a just massive difference in your number seven prospect and your number 11 prospect. I don't know. But I think just for a player like Juan Soto or a player like Ronald Acuna, the idea of trading prospects. But there's no guarantee Juan Soto is going to be there for the long term. Well, this I understand is, that. This that's, is an all-in move to try I, to win a World Series. And I understand that. That's another factor. That, mm-hmm. And that, that's why it's hard to answer this without all the information. I mean, that's yet another factor is – do you think you're going to be able to sign him long-term? Does he want to be there long-term? Soto does, did not want to be in D.C. But in theory, if you're saying, would I be willing to trade four of my top ten prospects for a what everybody consensusly agrees is a generational player? I'm not saying a good player. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying an all-star player. But a Juan Soto, a Ronald Acuna, a Mike Trout, would I be willing to do that? The answer is yes. Because I think that prospects have potential – and best case scenario, those those guys get close to being the guy you're trading for. I mean, you're you're you're, you're talking about players that come along. Maybe a couple of these guys come along every few years, every half decade, every decade. So I am a build through the draft, build through the farm system, invest in your farm system player, and I think that has greatly benefited the Braves. But I think there are exceptions to rules, and I think for players that are in their early 20s, already doing things that either never or have rarely been done in the history of baseball, I would be willing to give up a couple of guys who have not yet debuted at the major league level. Yes. I would not be willing to give up my future only for the simple fact that one guy is not going to be good enough to beat you. He's good. He's, except, he's He can be exceptional. But you are, you are I'm, I'm going to mortgage my future for one guy. No matter how good the one guy is. Now, in basketball, yeah, one guy can beat you. Like one guy could just because he does so much for the other four guys. The Braves just won the World Series without their best player. They just won it without him. That should let you know that yes, Juan Soto is one of the ones, but he is just one. One player. And I think sometimes, right, show me a scenario where you're giving all this up for one player and it's breeding and, and you're getting a return on investment to the team he went to. It's hard to do that. But I guess my only question, Ben, and and and, and I agree with you the vast majority of the time is how do you know these prospects? I mean, like you said, you can go look at the – I'm sure you can find it on the internet. Like, yeah. like like three years ago, who were the Braves' top ten prospects? Yeah. I'm sure you had some guys that worked Austin out. Riley. Austin yep. Riley. Dansby Swanson. Yeah. Well, Al- Ozzy Albies. Well, Braves, well, didn't, you. Braves didn't draft Dansby Swanson. No, but he played in the minor leagues but, after the trade, but, but, so he but, was part, but part again, of that. But again, with all due respect to these guys, you've also recently had Drew Waters, yep. Christian Pache, sure. Aaron Blair, Christian Betancourt. So that's kind of what I'm getting at yeah. is you don't know. Of you course, but, you but, don't the whole, know. but the whole thing about it is, right, that's that's sports in general. I don't need everybody to work out. I need some of them to work out. There isn't every every really, really good team in every major sport has one thing in common. You have superstars and a bunch of role players. If my role players are better than the other team's role players, we got a better shot to win. What the Braves was able to do last year at the trade deadline was take three guys that nobody wanted on a team that was already put together, 
with their best player out. Because when Ronald Cunha Jr. goes out, we like, that's the season, that's it. And, and, and I was like, no, now I get to show y'all what I really built. There aren't the best, the, arguably the best two ba- players in baseball are on the same team. Shohei and Mike Trout on the same team, they're not going to win anything. Well, and, they, and they have Syndergaard too, don't so, they? So, so, so what happens is, BJ, is this. Look, every, every league is copycat. Show me something that works. Show me a situation where I got all these big money players and they win it. It's hard to do it. Because if I got two guys making 40 or 50, everybody else making a meal, you know, league minimum. And I'm not saying they can't get it done. But when I built up a culture through my farm system, yes, Christian Pache, the, the, the greatest thing he ever did was say, I'm going to wear that 2-4. Ain't never to be seen from or heard from again. But guess and those what? guys make it. I still but have time. Still but, have but, time. This, but this is a sign of a good culture. Why don't we talk about Mike Fonavich anymore? Uh, won't even talk about Mike Soroka. And he's still a brave because it's about the current crop of players. Juan Soto is one of the best players in baseball. Guess what? Braves got a top 10 player, right? Braves, I mean, very on a very short list, might have two top two players when you look at, when you look at what uh, Austin Riley is doing. So I just think that while I, can, while I, know, I don't want to mortgage my future for a guy in Juan Soto because he's one player, he's going to be incredible. But show me one guy that won enough games for your franchise to go to the playoffs and win the World Series, then I will go. And then, once again, he's a half a billion dollar player. That's too much money to get one and, guy. And, I mean, this just goes to show, like both you guys have said, that that, that it can be, and, and you never know. It's like what in uh, Moneyball where he says, you think you know, you know, and you never know. Uh, this is from 2020. Here are the Braves' top five prospects from, from 2020. Number one, Christian Pache. Number two, Drew Waters. Number three, Ian Anderson. Number four, Kyle Wright. Number five, Shea Langliers. So it's been kind of a, you know, you have Ian Anderson who helped win a World Series. You have Christian Pache who contributed to winning a World Series but is is, is struggling right now. Yeah. You have Drew Waters who has yeah. not made his Major League debut. Yeah. You have Shea Langliers who has not, I believe, made his Major he's, League debut. He's doing well, though, in the Major League debut. Yeah. And then you have Kyle Wright who's been great this year. So yeah. it, that's what I'm saying is – is if you're telling me, and I understand your point, and and to tie it to Kevin's point, I think it's a different question if you phrase it like this. Would you be willing to trade five of your ten prospects for Juan Soto knowing that it's going to cost $500 million to get Juan Soto in a year? I think that's another layer to the question Mm -hmm. that gives you great pause and hesitation and might ultimately make you say no. But just on the basis of contracts and money aside, if you're saying, would you trade four or five of your top 10 or 11 prospects for a guy that people are saying in his early 20s is going to be in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. I, I would lean yes. I know that you go about the, the rest of the uh, the prospect list. Braden Shoemake, the top 10 from that year, this is 2020. He's still in the minor leagues, kind of uh, floundering around there. Still in the top 10. Kyle Muller, who has pitched at the major league level. William Contreras has made the major league. Tucker Davidson pitched in the World Series last year. You got Jared Schuster, still prospect. You De La Cruz who's kind of been up and down. And then right outside the top ten, Michael Harris is the guy. So you're talking about a guy uh, that the Padres traded, okay, four of their top 11. So out of Pache Waters, Anderson, Longolier, Shoebake, Muller, Contreras, Davidson, Schuster, De La Cruz, and let's just say Michael Harris. Pick four of those guys and hope they're not the wrong four guys. Right? Yeah, I mean, and, that, that, and I guess what I'm saying that, is right five now of those guys, actually. Is, is so. right now. Obviously, obviously, mm-hmm. there's still plenty of time. All these guys are very good baseball players. Yeah. All these guys are – and there's plenty of time for them to – but I think right now, if you were to say who's been a consistent at the major league level, you know, contributing consistently very good player, you would say Anderson, Wright, and Contreras? 
Sure. Yeah. I think that's I think that's fair. And there are still some guys that are working their way towards that. And when you're talking about, you know, a Brandon Drury, who's a very good player, no, I would ne- no, no. And again, Brandon Drury is a very good player. But if you're talking about Trout, Otani, Acuna, you know, Soto, I think I think those are the once in a yeah. in a generation, you know, exception to the rule type type players. Yeah, but at the same time, too, BJ, we're talking about one. Listen, every, if I got thirty different franchises, I got thirty different ways of winning, right? What works for one team doesn't work for another team. The Braves, hey, when our farm says we get it done for us, every team cannot say that. But other teams are going to beat man. We win with veterans. But it takes a mix, right? Because look Absolutely. at last year, you had Absolutely. to go out and get some Rosario, What the Braves have, they have a culture. They have a winning culture, right? So much so that guys. Isn't it crazy that Michael Harris Jr. could come into this culture and, and thrive because they're asking him to do what he does? Hey, whatever you give us at the plate is a bonus. Show us what you do with your club. That's what makes the Braves good. I need what Danby Swanson lacked when he when the season first started. He made up with his glove. Most teams, I got to be good all the time. That's a lot of pressure. With the Braves, no, I don't got to be good every day. We got more to come. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to be back here, three and out. Final hour, right around the corner. One hour to go until the trade deadline. Braves have made their moves yesterday. They re-signed uh, Austin Riley. Is there another move before the trade deadline? Who knows? Uh, the Braves have addressed a lot of areas, a lot of needs uh, out there. Plus, Kirby Yates should be coming back relatively soon. Ozzy Albee should be coming back, you would hope, their first part of September. So, still a chance for the Braves to add by sitting still the rest of the way here. We'll look to more of that coming up in the final and You were hour. telling me earlier today, I guess the idea with adding uh, 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 Grossman, I believe Robbie Grossman, is to platoon him in left field with Eddie Rosario yep. based on who's pitching. Righty, lefty, basically, yeah. And uh, he's a guy that, you look at his regular average, he's not doing great, but uh, against lefty, he's hitting three sixty five uh, this year. So uh, doing pretty good uh, from that side. And that's what the Braves want to see. I think in that platoon situation and... Of course, any option defensively is probably better than Marcelo Zuna if you have to put him out there at the end of the day. Busy final hour upcoming. Gorav Vidak, Battery Power, SB Nation going to join us. We'll talk all things Braves. Jason Fitz going to join us from ESPN Radio. We'll hear from Ben Ingram, voice of the Braves as well, coming up in the final hour. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, streaming live ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you back. Final hour of three and out. One little less than an hour to go to the trade deadline. Braves have been active, active a little bit more yesterday. Not as much today, but uh, some big moves to help bolster the starting rotation, bolster the left field platoon situation, and, of course, lock down third base with some thickness over there uh, at third base. And Austin Riley here to talk about all of that from Battery Power on SB Nation. Good friend of the show, Gaurav Vidak, joins us here on the show. Gaurav, welcome, man. How are you? I am truly exhausted just sitting on my computer, hitting refresh on Twitter, trying to see what's going on in this deadline. Hey, we are, we are right there with you in Alex Anthopoulos. We trust at this point. Uh, let's talk first about the moves that he made 
to bring in Jake Odorizzi. You lose Will Smith, and then you go out and make a trade with the Tigers. Rate those two moves uh, as you see them to kind of help the team out. So I, I understood the the trade, the uh, Jake Odorizzi trade. It made a lot of sense for the Braves. Uh, it helps out the, the Astros quite a bit. Um, you get out from that Will Smith contract. On the other side, you do take on another contract with a player option, so you're, you're kind of in lock. Uh, the Will Smith contract was going to be expiring this year. Meanwhile, the Jake Odorizzi, you get another player under uh, on, on, your, on your staff for next year, so it's another number that you have to think about going into the offseason. But for this season itself, it was a great trade. Will Smith has been a shadow of what he was uh, for the Dodgers. Uh, so it, it kind of just worked his way out. Unfortunately for him, uh, the, the slider was just not effective whatsoever. And when he doesn't have an effective slider, that four seam is pretty much useless. And we saw you just melted down multiple times. So that, that trade was great for both teams. I like Jake Uderizzi. He's going to help limit some of the innings from Spencer Strider while also, you know, providing potential relief for Ian Anderson, who has struggled this year. So great trade. Uh, the second one would have to be the, the Robbie Grossman trade. I'm a big fan of that. The Braves trade up Chris uh, Anglin, who they drafted a couple of years ago. Uh, right now, I don't see a pass to the majors for him. So it kind of comes with a minor prospect for Robbie Grossman, who's going to really solid, help solidify the left field position. He has a near 1,000 OPS against left-handed pitching in this year, which is something desperately the Braves needed. I thought that was a fantastic trade uh, as well. It's a, it's, I, still, I would love to see another outfielder potentially uh, before the deadline, but so far it's been a pretty solid trade deadline. We talked about this a moment ago, uh, but is the idea, I guess, to rotate uh, Rosario and, and Grossman against right and left-handed pitching? Yeah, that's 100% got to be the got to be the play. Grossman is pretty much unstartable against right-handed pitching, so it, it kind of works out for the perfect platoon. Go on, when you think about this trade, Dylan, obviously because uh, Lightning struck three times last year when you talk about uh, you know uh, guys like Peterson, Soler, Rosario, but it seems like Alex Anthopoulos, he – he doesn't have to panic when they go about making these moves because the team he already has is already so put together. But being able to sign a guy like Austin Riley, adding the pitcher in Grossman, you look at you look at the way in which he goes about getting things done when it seems like everybody around him be trying to get the biggest move. Talk about the moves he makes and how he's earned the trust of of I mean of, of Braves faithful to trust him to go out there and make things happen. I love that. I mean, basically he signed all the young talent under team control for eight to ten years so you have you know elite players at multiple positions and then they also have the financial flexibility now to to be able to make a trade for jake odorizzi who really does help the bullpen this year he's going to be a significant upgrade over will smith and for those who you know maybe haven't seen jake odorizzi before with will smith you pretty much saw slider four seam but with jake odorizzi you get four seam cutter split finger slider curveball while he's not going to strike out a ton of people, he likes inducing weak contact. Kind of perfect, you know, in the in the bullpen. Or really, I would my dream scenario would be more of an opener for someone like Strider or someone like Morton. Help or not Morton, but for someone like Ian Anderson, help them, you know, conserve their arms just a little bit. Spencer Strider, this is the most he's ever pitched in his life right now. Help him conserve his arm, limit those innings just a bit, so he can go into the playoffs uh, and. Like you said, like we have the the core locked up for a long time. 
can spend the next eight years just finding these little complementary pieces and have a contender, not just a division title contender, but a World Series contender for potentially a decade. Just absolutely crazy to think about. Uh, certainly. Gurov, uh, you look at uh, the other news that broke uh, yesterday, and that's Austin Riley, 10-year deal, $212 million. A lot of folks say, how does Alex Anthopoulos pull this off? A, a guy that could be an MVP candidate, all-star. We'll see what happens with his career moving forward, but obviously the roller coaster is still going up, and the back end of this contract, you're paying a could-be star player $20 million, which, as you see other guys around the league, that could be a pittance possibly for what other teams could potentially offer him. How huge was that uh, for the Braves to, to lock Austin Riley in for such a team-friendly contract? It, okay, so just to put this into perspective, if you look at his cumulative numbers starting from the beginning of the 2021 season, Austin Riley, by every definition of the word, is a top-10 player in baseball. You do not a top-10 players in baseball $21 million a season. It is a completely ridiculous contract and of great, insane value for the Braves. I could, if we thought the Ronald Acuna, well, the Ronald Acuna contract is still just absolutely crazy to think about. The Austin Riley one, while not as absurd as paying someone like Acuna's level $10 million a season, it's still tremendous value. And again, it gives the team flexibility to be able to pick up these complimentary players to be able to create a contender each year. You have Acuna, you have Albies, Matt Olson, many multiple players not, who haven't even entered their prime uh, of, of their careers making really friendly, uh, friendly salaries. You add on top of that that Anthopolis has been quoted as saying they expect to be a top-five payroll in baseball soon. It's a, it's a great, great time period to be a Braves fan. And, Gorov, you mentioned the uh, flexibility uh, financially. People are already asking, I mean, is is Atlanta putting itself in a position to be able to re-sign a Dansby Swanson, re-sign a uh, Max Freed? I mean, are they putting themselves in a position to be able to, with the core that's already in place, even add to uh, the guys that they might be able to retain? Absolutely. And then next season you have Charlie Morton's contract coming off. You already got rid of Will Smith. The Braves are going to have a ton of money in this in this offseason. You can see them easily extending Max Fried. I think that's going to be a priority. Uh, they'll weigh their options. I think Danzy Swanson's probably going to be the best move, but then there's the option of adding someone like a Trey Turner, which the Braves can absolutely afford. Uh, the, they have a ton of money to spend, and they're going to have a good amount of money just because of how well Anthopolis has structured all of the deals for their superstars already. Off. I mean, we talked to you back in June. You told me and Kevin straight up. I mean, I know it was about the middle of June. Michael Harris is going to be a name to watch. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Vegas. If you got a three-piece suit, we could just go to Vegas to see how well we do with the, we do uh, you know do gambling. But what's what's another? Obviously, Austin Riley. We talk about. I mean, I, I know that uh, I know the odds is coming back, but you know, is there another name in the farm system? Is there somebody else we should be looking out for? Because it seems as though Alex Anthopoulos through veteran leadership through the culture and through this farm system, he seemed to be hitting all three. Okay, I have, I have two names to, to really keep in mind. The first one is an uh, international free agent signing from two years ago. His name is Ambioris Tavares. The Braves paid $1.5 million. This was, still their, this was their final year under sanctions. Uh, he just played his first game uh, la uh, yesterday. 
you saw him in spring training before even playing in in uh, in the minors, which is something you don't really see. He's got a really great hit tool. He hits for power. He's got okay speed, and he can pick it. He's most likely to stay at third. He's 100% someone to watch, but it's not for a few years. Another one that you should keep in mind right now is Vaughn Grissom. He is going absolutely bananas in double-A right now. He's hitting for average. He's hitting for power. He's getting on base uh, at an insane clip. He's most likely going to move from short to somewhere in the outfield, and he's honestly playing his way into potentially being someone the Braves can look at as soon as next season. Wow, Gorov, I'm, I'm amazed uh, when I look at this Braves roster at the number of guys that the Braves have been able to lock up. You mentioned the Acuna contract. When that happened, I know a lot of people were saying, oh, uh, you know, they took advantage of Acuna and all that. I've been on record saying there's no way he gets to the end of that contract without the Braves kicking in uh, more money to that. But what is there, I guess, in the clubhouse, in the organization, that allows him to pull off these moves that people say he's really getting, I want to call it low ball, but you're, you're, you're getting extreme value out of all these contracts. Guys want to play in Atlanta, and you're able to get them locked in for a, for a long time. Are people willing to sacrifice a few dollars uh, to stay in Atlanta? And if so, something we talked about on the show, how much of I love Atlanta, this is where I want to play, did all those guys kind of get the cautionary tale from watching the Freddie Freeman uh, saga play out? I, I think it's 100% they love Atlanta. You don't get that kind of value unless you have an amazing clubhouse culture, which, again, I talked about with you guys and Brian Snicker. He deserves all the, price for, all the praise for that. He's built an insane culture that people love to be. You see, you see uh, t- uh, other teams during games having fun with Braves players. You see the Braves can be losing 6-0, and, the, and the, um, they're still having a good time on the field. Uh, and in the dugout. The clubhouse culture is fantastic, and I think people are willing to take discounts to be able to stay there. And it's, it's just, it cannot be understated just how well the, the duo of Brian Snitker and Anthopolis have done. Uh, Anthopolis, I think, I can say already, is, is the best manager in Braves history. Uh, you see the deals he's able to secure. He's very, very transparent when it comes to uh, his relationships with players, and I think they love that. I think they like having someone that legitimately has their back. You uh, it's, it's, saw him literally cry over Freddie Freeman and how that went. That's how much he respects the players, and I think they respect him just as much. So between Snicker creating this amazing culture and then Anthopolis being someone that you, could legit, you can have a legitimate conversation with, it's a great place for the already uh, existing Braves and for free agents. I, free agents can see that, and it's something that ends up cascading into, so, into something like Atlanta being a powerhouse for decades. Finally, uh, I know you have the Phillies first, but you have, what, five games coming up with the Mets. Uh, how big of a stretch is this for Atlanta, and how do you expect this series or, or uh, with the Mets or this week to go here? Honestly, out of the next five games against the Mets, you you basically have to go four and one. Uh, it's a it's a key time. I, Bray struggled last last series against the Mets. Uh, you have the Phillies. You have the Mets. Now is the time you put the pedal to the metal. You do what you did, you know, post uh, trade deadline again this year. And this is where you have you, the Braves have the talent. I don't. There's no reason to believe the Braves could not repeat for a World Series, which is absolutely crazy to even think about or say. 
but there's no reason to believe that they won't be able to. They should win. They should beat the Mets. They should beat the Phillies. I want to see them take over first place after the, after the next two series. Gaurav Vidak, Battery Power, SB Nation, joining us here on 3 and Out. Gaurav, man, always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks much. Thank you, guys. Gaurav Vidak, Battery Power, SB Nation, joining us here, man. The Braves, uh, Brennan's talked about it. Culture, guys will take less money to stay. I want to stay. And you have that cautionary tale of if you're Freddie Freeman, you come to Atlanta, you're having an emotional meltdown about how much the city meant, how much you wanted to stay and didn't because you couldn't get a deal done through your agent. I think guys took notice of that. And Austin Riley, I mean, nobody was talking about getting an Austin Riley deal done in July. They're like, yeah, it needs to be addressed. He's probably playing his way into more money. And then we were just talking about it yesterday. Hey, down the road, you need to look at Austin Riley. I think he's a priority. And then we get off the show. Five minutes after that, it's done. Truly unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. We got so much to get to here on 3 and Out. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, going to join us when we come back. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back. Here it is, 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. Streaming live as well, ESPNCoastal.com, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. You can catch the show going on there as well. The NFL coming back at the Hall of Fame game coming up this weekend, and still a lot of stuff happening off the field. Joining us here, our next guest, you can hear him on ESPN Radio, Jason Fitz, stopping by 3 and Out. Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? Man, I'm doing spectacular. Thanks for having me. Love that we get to hang out. This is awesome. Hey, hey, well, we appreciate you coming on. I mean, this has been a, a heck of a 24 hours in the National Football League from training camps over to Deshaun Watson, a lot of people debating that, to an owner getting suspended. I mean, how do you kind of evaluate the league coming back for the 2022 season? The two biggest stories have been about uh, suspensions, and were they uh, severe enough? Yeah, well, I think this is what you – the NFL is not stupid in what they do, right? And at this point, what the NFL is making sure is they're going to get all of this stuff out of the way as much as they can. Because Thursday night, we got a Hall of Fame game. And once there's games on the field, like, popular or not with this opinion, but once there's games on the field, people care less about all the rest of this stuff. And so, unfortunately, for something like the Deshaun Watson conversation, like, they're going to have to make the decision by Thursday at 9 a.m. of whether or not they're going to appeal that ruling. We might talk about it all day Thursday, but as we start getting into preseason football, we all know – People want to know what their favorite team is doing on the field. So it's a, the NFL is trying to get all of this housekeeping done in a way they can get to the games because they know ultimately the games will distract any of us, myself included, from all of it. Jason, ultimately, do you think a, a, an appeal will be filed uh, with the Watson ruling? I think the NFL is in the worst position they've ever been in as a league with this, this situation. I think they will file an appeal because the, the court of public opinion has been so harsh on them over the last few days. But then they're going to have to realize that now we have a new, like, can't stress this enough to everybody. It's a new collective bargaining agreement. This is a new punishment process. And now the very first time it's used, we're going to turn around and we're going to appeal it. And that appeal goes straight to Roger Goodell. So the very person we've been saying for the last 10 years couldn't get the opportunity to handle all this is now suddenly the person we're hoping helps us out of all of this. So I think there will be an appeal. I think uh, through that process of appeal, they'll make the suspension a little longer and maybe add money to it. But if they go full, like into a full season, then I think the NFLPA is going to sue and try and send this to court. And this whole thing could just keep going on and on and on, which is worst-case scenario 
for everybody. Jason, when you think about the Miami situation, Stephen Ross, I mean, it's not like this is the first time he's been in the news from doing things that he probably shouldn't have been doing, but $1.5 million fine, can't be around the facility till October, can't go to the to the owners' meetings. What do you make of the whole situation down there? And I know it said that did he or did he not offer $100,000 for every loss of Brian Flores? What's going on with Stephen Ross and them Dolphins these days? Yeah, I think this is actually kind of wild to me, like, they said that they found, you know, they, they found an indication that he cared about draft picks, but they say they can't find any proof he was offering an incentive to lose. And that just feels really convenient to me. Y'all, like, I looked it up on the calendar. I, I, I did a calculator. I did a little Google search. And Stephen Ross, according to the Google machine, is worth $8.2 billion. So what's $1.5 to him? If you're worth hundred grand, $19. So for a lot of us, it was like, if you're worth fifty grand, it's 9 bucks, right? So everybody that's sitting here thinking about what's $1.5 million to Stephen Ross, a happy meal. You got to find a happy meal, and they took away two draft picks. Like, I, I don't know, y'all. Like, I think, frankly, if you're telling me that I have to give up a first-round pick, a happy meal, and a third-round pick, but it gives me a better shot of getting Brady or gives me a better shot of getting the coach I want, I don't think that penalty was harsh enough to deter somebody from tampering. And I think it's really convenient they got nothing on the tanking. Jason, I think you're so right about the NFL with – once the game start, we actually talked about this on the show yesterday. For all the folks upset about, you know, Deshaun Watson, once he plays, it kind of you, he's playing. Forget about it. But how does the NFL kind of you know flesh that out when it comes to punishment? Because it seems there's no guidebook, there's no rhyme or reason to how they they dole it out here in our state. Calvin really got at least a year for gambling uh, while he wasn't playing. Uh, he was out away from the team, and you get six games. Uh, and Deshaun Watson, the owner, has to sit out for, as you said, trying to backdoor Tom Brady. And so, like, how does the NFL even come up with consistent rulings at this point? I think at this point, the NFL needs to be transparent about what they screw up. Like, if I'm Roger Goodell, like, if you read the whole ruling from the judge, part of what she said is that she could only, she does believe that Deshaun Watson did the things that he's been accused of doing. But she believes that a six-game suspension is the most that you can get because there was no floor for suspensions before. You can't drastically change that. If I'm Roger Goodell, I come out today and I say, look, if that's her ruling, that means we've screwed up and we need to have better systems in place. I think the NFL and the NFLPA should sit together in a room right now and they should go to an addendum of the collective bargaining agreement and they should decide together what certain things deserve for penalties, just like we know. Like, you don't even think anymore. You know what a PED suspension looks like for the league, right? Like, we got to the spot where when it was a problem, we knew what a weed suspension was, right? To me, they need to sit down and look at every possible scenario. And anytime something comes up that they don't have that scenario on, you got to go back in, you got to add that to the list. Like, I think the NFL has been so arbitrary in the punishment. I hoped that having a judge handle this would fix that, but it doesn't because she's still looking at past the past punishments as a guideline. And as long as that's the case, it's never going to be right. It's never going to be fair. You, you cannot tell me Calvin Ridley deserves to sit out a year integrity of the game or not. When you've got Deshaun Watson coming back on a field during the middle of breast cancer awareness month this year, six games like that. You just can't make that make sense. Right. And we talked about the CBA yesterday. I mean, do you think what you're proposing and what you're talking about in terms of trying to establish uh, some sort of changed paradigm for uh, establishing consistency? Do you think that's realistic? I mean, is that something that, that, the, that the NFL and the NFLPA could actually get together and do to make this, uh, again, for lack of a better word, more consistent? 
I think in this case, for this particular thing, there's so much blowback to everybody. Yeah, I think it could happen. The biggest surprise to me, you know, there's just this level of what the collective bargaining process is like. And Tamora Smith is the executive in charge of the NFLPA. He does not have an easy job. Like, representing everybody that has different interests is not an easy job. You can't make it make sense to me, though, that they sat down in a bargaining room and they said, man, the one thing we don't want to let Roger have is full control of punishment. And then say, well, we're not going to give him full control, but if there's an appeal, he gets full control. Like, I'm not even that smart, and I see how he gets back to Roger Goodell every single time. Like, this is a fatal flaw to DeMora Smith and the negotiations that happened here, that they even let themselves get to a situation where Roger can still be judge, jury, and executioner at some point. So I don't know. I think everybody in this process has to swallow some pride. They have to eat a little ego, sit down and say, okay, what's best for the perception of this league for the rest of the time has to matter. And, and I think it will on this. They've, they've shown the ability to work together in the past when they know it's incredibly important. Jason, with so many things going on in the National Football League right now, I know this. I know people are going to be opposed to this, but you got people saying things like Lamar Jackson not a top ten quarterback, even if he wins twenty MVPs. You got guys saying that if you take away Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, first read, he's really not that good of a quarterback. I want to get rid of all these anonymous sources. Everybody got something to say because they can hide, hide behind anonymous. How about you just put your name to it? That way we can actually see who's saying this nonsense. Yeah, you're speaking facts there, and look, the number of people that come out and question the number of coaches that come out and question players. And the one thing that I, I've listened to, like, cause I've, I've been lucky over the last five, six years of my life. I get to work with a lot of guys that played in the league, just like Ben did. Right. And, and the one thing that I always say when I'm talking to somebody uh, that's played in the league is I got to listen. I got to listen to what their experiences are and what's real. And it's been stunning to me to listen to players talk after they're out of the league about how many guys that are coaching at the professional level that aren't great coaches. They're there because they know somebody, they're friends with somebody. I've talked to so many guys that played in the league and felt they got better coaching in college than they did in the NFL. And it's crazy that we let these NFL coaches, without any sort of accountability to what they're saying, come out and say whatever they're going to say. And at the same time, nobody gets to turn around and question that coach. I, I, I think this is a wild part of what it's like to be a professional athlete right now. And frankly, what you got when it comes to Lamar Jackson, especially – you got a lot of people that had a lot of hot takes when he came into the league, and now instead of stepping up and saying, man, I was really wrong about Lamar Jackson, people are trying to find fault with this game still, when realistically every one of these coaches would kill. There are only four or five quarterbacks in the league that you wouldn't sit there and say, oh, man, I'd rather have him than Lamar, right? Like most teams, if they had the opportunity to acquire Lamar Jackson today, would. I, it's just it's stupid to me. And the same with Patrick Mahomes. Like I'm a Raiders fan. I know what it's like to be scared of Patrick Mahomes twice a year. I don't understand why we, we resort to tearing these guys down instead of building up their greatness. Because the more great quarterbacks in the NFL, the better for all of us and the better these coaches look for being able to stop them. And, Jay, speaking of great quarterbacks, with everything that we've ever seen in the National Football League, and, I mean, I know you've been covering long enough to see some crazy stuff, have you ever seen anything like a homework clause or whatever you want to call it with a situation, even though they've taken out with a guy like Kyler Murray? And I know he did a fake press conference talking about he blamed the media. No, Arizona put it in there. I know they took it out because of, you know, public scrutiny. But have you ever heard of somebody being, you know, uh, in their contract, you have to have at least four hours of watching film? No, and I've talked to a bunch of former GMs. I've talked to former players. I've talked to current agents, guys in organizations. I blew up the phones trying to figure this one out. And the best thing I can relate it to is, like, in my life, you know, I work at ESPN, I get a contract. When that contract gets renewed, you know, hopefully in life, 
Every time they do a new contract for me, eventually ESPN tweets out, like, we've reached a long-term deal with Jason Pitts. And what happens is your phone gets blown up with all the congratulations, and it's a really cool moment that means something to you. It's like those moments that you step back and say, man, the hard work is worth it because I'm doing the right thing and this career is going well. That's a special moment that, that he had to be feeling when the first news came out. To think about what it would feel like the next day or the day after to then suddenly have it leak on social media that ESPN had put a clause in my contract that I needed to do more homework, more film study, I would feel so devastated. I'd feel small in a moment that was supposed to feel good. I'd feel like they didn't have my back. I'd feel like they were traitors. Like, those are real emotions I think any of us would have. I don't know why we don't think Kyler Murray won't have them. And I'm telling you, when that, when that seed is planted, there's very little that makes it right, short of somebody in the organization coming out and saying, I did it. Why did it? And I'm sorry. And we haven't seen any of that. We've seen we're taking it out, but we haven't seen how did it get there in the first place. Like, this is an embarrassment for the Cardinals, and I think long-term it wrecks their relationship. Our guest here on 3 and Out, Jason, appreciate the time. Thanks much. Hey, anytime, guys. Appreciate you. Have a great week. Will do. Jason Fitz joining us here on 3 and Out. Catch him on ESPN Radio. We've got more to come. Ben Ingram, voice of the Atlanta Braves. Braves have been busy. We'll hear from him next. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network.